This episode of the Stock Market Movers podcast is brought to you by Calamero St. Helias. Actually, I have an announcement about this, so I should get it out of the way now. We're going to do a listener meetup. So a Stock Market Movers meetup on Sunday the 1st of November at 2pm at Calamero St. Helias 59 Long Drive St. Helias, Auckland. Buying a pizza, of course, will be optional, but it'll be a great place to come along to and, and network with like-minded people that are interested in the stock market. Email me at jeremy at stockmarketmovers.co.nz or Facebook, me, Facebook Messenger me if you're interested in coming along. It is Friday, the 1st of November 2019. My name is Jeremy Midland and welcome to episode 64 of the Stock Market Movers podcast. Just a reminder that nothing that I say today should be considered financial advice, and if you're looking for financial advice, I recommend that you speak to an authorised financial advisor. So, there are quite a few interim and annual updates from meaningful New Zealand NZX companies during the week. So, we're going to do one of the old-fashioned stock market mover podcast episodes where I just roll through a, a bunch of the interesting news. So, we're going to talk about Z Energy, Plexure, Freightways, Sinlay, but we'll start with Helen Steins. Helen Steins trades on the NZX under the ticker code HLG, and it's one of the oldest publicly traded companies on the NZX. According to my direct broking page, they have been listed since 1947, so you'd have to say that they have some sort of durability there, which in, in the world of valuation, if you understand valuations, is, is a material quality. So I'm actually going to I'm actually doing them a disservice by calling them Hallensteins as it misrepresents the business. Probably a better way to refer to them is by the full name, which is Hallensteins Glassons Holding Limited, as this captures the Glassons part of the business, which according to their annual report that they released, contributes to about two-thirds of the revenue. So let's take a quick look at the annual results for financial year 2019. Revenue came in at 287 million, which is a 3.2% increase in 2018, which is, is pretty good really. Um, I mean, it, it's not, it's a company that is, is it's not in the rapid growth phase, you know, been about since 1947. So a 3.2% increase, you know, that, that's sort of at the, at the rate you'd expect for a, a mature company like that. So gross profits, they increased at a slower rate, 1.1% to 172 million from 170 million. So what, what you have there is a slight increase in the cost of sales as a percentage and therefore is a, a decrease in gross margins. So gross margins are, are still reasonably strong overall at around 60%. Operating profit was 13.7% in revenue. This actually increased from 13.6% the year before. So what they've lost on gross margins, they have more than made up for on operating expenses decreasing, increasing slower than, than revenue, I should say. So, which is a, a nice thing about sales increases for retailers is that you do get some operating leverage from having relatively fixed costs, costs in the stores. So, same with my pizza shop, for example. If I were to increase the sales, my rent is going to stay the same, for example, or my staffing costs may not increase at the same, at the same pace. So, with retail businesses, you do get operating leverage from increased sales. So, tech tax looked pretty consistent and they reported a net profit after tax of 29 million which places them on about 12 times earnings with a market cap of, of 360 million. Taking a look at the balance sheet, Hallensteins has a, a very conservative and, and very vanilla balance sheet. So 16.5 million in cash, current assets of 48.6 million, inventories of 24 million. Obviously I, I doubt 
However, that a company, the company, if if it was a fire sale, if the proverbial hit the fan, if they'd be able to recover twenty four million, but that's a, a a different conversation. It's not really relevant because it's obviously not that at that stage anyway. Um, and like I said, that's a that that Helen Steins you'd have to say is is a good durable long term company in 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 my view anyway. Uh, total assets of 104 million. There are no real long-term liabilities, just current liabilities of 29.5 million. So that's net assets of 75 million. Um, so you've got lots of assets and no real liabilities. The the company is able to earn 29 million in net income on on 75 million in assets, or 38.6 percent, which is pretty good going for a retailer. So the the reason why they're able to earn that return is they haven't let the assets build up on the balance sheet. So what they do with their spare cash is they pay it as dividends. So they're able able to keep on earning a good return on equity because they return those the return the cash. Just before I move on, when looking at retailers, I always recommend looking at ones with the best balance sheets, as most retailers also carry significant off balance sheet liabilities called lease agreements. So, and you can check this out in the notes in the annual report. So, Helen Science has twenty-five million in lease commitments due in the next year, and a total of ninety-six million over the next five. So, if you're dealing with a retailer that has a lot of debt and finds itself in some sort of short-term temporary trouble, then it can go pear-shaped pretty quickly if, due to lease commitments. You know, you think of some of the retailers in, in New Zealand and overseas and, and just how quickly once they're in trouble they, they get wound up and that's often because of the combination between debt and lease, commi- lease commitments. So it's like a double whammy. So I, when I'm looking at retailers, I'm, I'm looking straight away at the lease commitments and the debt. So a good number is, is to compare it to something as well. So check what lease, what the lease, lease commitments are relative to sales. So 25.4 million, that would be about 8.9% of Helen Stone's 2019 sales. So one way to do things would be to go out and, and compare the obligations of other publicly listed retail companies relative to the sales. And I think you could draw all sorts of assumptions out of this. I mean, actually better yet, maybe use gross profit or, or some sort of other metric to compare to the rent because retailers are obviously going to have different margins depending on the retailer. Anyway, moving on to the cash flow statement. As I indicated earlier, the company does generate spare cash. They have for a long time. They had a higher capex than in 2018, so the free cash flow is lower. It would be worth finding out if you're interested in the company, if the capex was used for just standing still or if it was growth capex. There is a difference. Um, what do they do with the excess cash? As I said, they pay a dividend, which I think is the right thing to do in, in this situation. There's no point just having it build up on the balance sheet or management trying to think of something to do with it. I think as as established company like this, send you excess cash that you don't need for CapEx back to the to the shareholders. The dividend yield is seven point two percent right now. It was an awful lot higher a, a, a two years ago when it appeared the market was thinking the future was pretty bleak for the company. Obviously it's not a a, a growth story but there has it was a good buy back then and especially with the revaluation that has happened with the yield. Okay, moving on. Different type of company. Zen, oh, different type, but still the same in the sense of lease obligations. So Zen Energy, they released their half-year results as well. Um, it, it took it takes a bit of scrolling to get to the numbers on the Zen Energy report. It's a bit like a Roman healthcare report. It's full of pictures of things. <laughs> Instead of elderly people playing bowls, it's, it's more like <laughs> pictures of people filling up cars. Anyway, at, at first glance here, the, the numbers need some sort of analysis. It's not something 
I think when I was looking at the Hellensteins one, you can pretty much figure it out in a couple of seconds. And I'm only doing a first glance here, so if you're interested, you'll need to go and, and read more about the company. But it, it's one of those ones where you need to read the cash flow statement closely in conjunction with the balance sheet. So let's start. Cash flow from operations was negative 31 million compared to positive 111 million for a comparable period last year. And, and this seems terrible, but then you consider that the company increased its inventories by 112 million from March 31st to 30th of September. So from March 31st to the six months later, they increased the inventories by 102 million. So if they had kept inventories flat, so the same amount in March 31st, then operating cash flow would have been approximately 70 million. But then at the same time, receivables decreased from 499 million in March to 293 million in, in September. So an increase in accounts receivable hurts cash flow. A, a decrease helps cash flow. So accounts payable remain relatively constant. So I guess net, all of this is, is my interpretation of the statements is, is that the company, you know, it, it doesn't read like a very cash generative generative period for, for Zen Energy. So my overall interpretation is that looking at the at the cash flow statement, the company had to increase borrowings by 114 million in order to cover its dividend essentially. So they needed to go and find money to pay its dividend. The dividend wasn't generated from cash. So this is obviously a situation that cannot persist for the long term. So I guess holders of Zen Energy will be hoping for an improved operating environment going forward. Now, to Plexia, PLX on the NZX, which let's face it, there's a good chance that if you're listening to the podcast, this is what you're listening to hear about. Here's a bit of anecdotal information that you'll not find anywhere else. This is exclusive to the podcast. You won't, literally won't hear this anywhere else apart from my, from my voice. So I get slightly above average podcast listens when I talk about Plexia. I said you won't get an information anywhere else. So that shows that there's more interest in average in this stock than there is in other stocks. You know, if I was to go and talk about, um, I don't know, name your company, Ryman Healthcare, for example, I'd get a lot less listens in an episode than what if I, if, if I talked about Plexure. So that's obviously not a reason to invest or, or, or not invest, but it's, it's an interesting stat. I also get more listens when I talk about A2 Milk, marijuana stocks, Warren Buffett, so it's a bit of a mix. One day I'll do a wonder episode when I talk about A2, Plexia, marijuana, Warren Buffett, and throw in a bit of Bitcoin as well. All in one episode, it'll literally it'll break the internet. Anyway, so let, let's get straight straight. It just shows that maybe it's a, a stock that is a lot of people are interested in because my guess is that the prices run up because the prices run up significantly. I think when I first talked about it on the podcast, it was a thirty million dollar company, and um, the prices run up significantly, so it's obviously garnered a lot of interest out there. And that's what happens when when the prices of things run up significantly. You, you more people it gets people's attention. So. Let's go straight to the financial statements and see what inferences we can draw. This is just the way I like to do things. I like to go straight to the numbers, come up with my own conclusions, and then check the rest of the report to see what the management says. The numbers, once you sort of get used to them, it's sort of like the you know, the old movie The Matrix where they're, they're watching the screen and it's the green numbers and they can figure out what's happening from that. You can draw a lot of inf- inferences from those numbers in a, in, a, in a balance sheet and in income statements and cash flow statements. And then with those numbers, you can come up with some conclusions and that 
it's I, I like to do that without influence from anywhere else. So I do that first, and then I I, I go from there. So revenue increased forty four percent to eleven point seven million over last year, which is a, a big jump. You know, you you keep doing that every year, and you're a big company pretty quickly. Um, operating income before tax increased only eight percent to one point two million. So you know, that's a pretty reasonable margins actually when you think about it. It's about a ten percent operating margin, which is not terrible. Um, but it, it obviously decreased a lot slower than what revenues did. So what this tells you is that. Expenses have increased essentially. So, which you know, for a, a company like Plexure, which doesn't really have any any gross margin, so to speak, there's more just the operating expenditures that we're talking about. Which, if you've been following the company, it's it's not uns- it's not it's not surprising. You know, that's what they've been doing. They've they've been quite public about the fact that they're going to increase the staff. They're going to do all that sort of stuff. So, staffing and wages it increased fifty three percent to four point six million. IT costs increased seventy nine percent to two point five million. So, there are the bulk of your increases. So, this is the company trying to set itself up for more growth. In the ideal situation, you can almost treat these increase in costs as an investment. The idea is that being that the growth in the top line will continue and that the bottom line will will follow, eventually follow it at a pace that, that outstrips the increase in costs. So the question will be, can the company realise a return on the investments? And I guess time will tell. A quick look at the balance sheet. Plexure is quite a, a solid balance sheet, really. You can't really complain there. It's not one of those ones where you look at and you and you're immediately worried that it's going to go out of business next year or anything like that. So current assets are just shy of seventeen million. Of that, thirteen million is in cash and term deposit, so it's pretty liquid, which is more than the whole total liabilities of the company, the current assets. So cash flow generated from is is, is two point. 3 million in cash from operating activities. So the interesting note on the cash flow statement was issuance and shares, which is 5.4 million, which was from the McDonald's investment, which I pretty much did a whole episode on. You'll have to go back and have a listen, which, as, as I said on the episode, I think all in all was a, a, a great outcome for the company. Moving on. So there, there were a couple of acquisition announcements during the week. That is NZX businesses, listed companies buying other other businesses. So let's start with Freightways. They acquired a, a company called Big Chill Distribution. <laughs> when I read the headline, the first thing I thought of was the Big Chill Ice Skating Rink in Dunedin. When I was growing up, you know, if if someone said they're going to the Big Chill, everyone would, would know what you're doing. You're going ice skating. So... Uh, I'm not sure if it's still there or not, and that comment will only mean something to you if you're from Dunedin, but anyway, moving on. It's not a nice skating rink they're buying. Um, Big Chill operates over 200 temperature-controlled trucks and trailers, so that's right in Freightways wheelhouse, obviously. Um, it's right up their street. My understanding of this is that the industry is, is quite fragmented, as there's a lot of small players, and there's quite a bit of consolidation happening. So this acquisition, I guess, would, would support that story. Um the acquisition involves an initial payment of $117 million for about 80% of the enterprise value, with the balance to be paid later on. It repre- represents a multiple of 7.9 times EV, which is enterprise value, EBITDA, which is earnings for interest tax and depreciation and amortization. So, not talking a bit fast. I'm not sure if EBITDA is the, the right sort of thing to use in this situation. You probably guessed I was going to say that. If you've ever owned a truck or another vehicle like a car, you'd know that depreciation is a 
is a very real cost. You know, if you bought a brand new car, for example, and went to sell it a year later, you'll sell it for a lot less probably. So, which, I, and or, you know, in, in, in the case of, you, know, you have to maintain it and you have to do everything else. So depreciation, of course, is a cost in this situation, especially a, a, a truck that's going to be on the road a lot. So I, I do not think that 200 temperature controlled trucks from Big Chill will be exempt from this, but that's a metric they've used to to put out in their announcement. But it's obviously an investment that's right in Freightways Wheelhouse, like I said, so it'll be interesting to see how the integration goes. Um, I imagine they it, it's a company that they're probably already familiar with and they've been looking at for a long time. So, you know, it'll be one that will follow. And if you're a Freightway shareholder, I'd look out for updates about this going forward. You know, 100 and... What? 17 million or, or whatever I said before, you know, you're looking at 10% of the market, market cap, so it's not immaterial. So it's, it's a pretty good acquisition. The final that company that we'll talk about on the acquisition front is Sinlay, who announced that another uh, another acquisition during the week. And it's uncanny how similar the basic metrics are to the to Freightways acquisition. This one is for 112 million and an EBIT, EBITDA multiple of 7.5. So looking at it's a company called Dairy Works, and looking at their website, they own a few branded cheeses and some ice creams that you might be familiar with from the supermarket. In fact, you probably are familiar with. So it is more of a continuation of a move into the consumer space, which the company has said is part of the everyday dairy category. It's ironic in some ways that Fonterra is a company that has been looking to consolidate away from this area with the sale of, of Tip Top, and it's an area that Sinlay is looking to expand into. So just on the surface, Dairy Works looks like a, a, a pretty good company, um, just as, at a quick glance. So I guess the success of it will come down to whether Sinlay has paid a sensible price and how well they're able to run the business going forward. So there was not enough information available in the announcement to decipher that, in my view, so time will tell. And again, reasonably material for Sinlay, so it, it's one to to keep an eye on in, in future announcements in terms of how that is progressing. Um, so a, a really interesting one there for me. Right, that's about all we have time for again. Thanks very much for listening into the podcast. As a reminder, that nothing is that I said today should be considered financial advice. If you're looking to find out more about the podcast, go to www.stockmarketmovers.co.nz or find us and give it a like by searching on Facebook. Make sure also to share it with your friends. If you want to email me, it is jeremy at thestockmarketmovers.co.nz. Once again, my name is Jeremy Medlin, and this, this has been episode 64 of the Stock Market Movers podcast for Friday, the 1st of November 2019. We'll see you all again next week.